Good morning. Everybody doing good? You can get your worship guides out or follow us on Uversion. We're going to finish the, uh, the series today. It's our final installment of Be a Champion. Everybody say, that's sad. That's sad. It's been a great series, hasn't it? I mean, we've had some, uh, we, my, my dad kicked it off when he talked to us about, uh, you know, get, getting our dream come alive again and, and believing God again. And it's really a message of faith. And we had, you know, Pastor Jason come in here. I'm calling him a pastor, but, you know, he's, he's got a pastoral gifting. He came in here and talked about, you know, just not living a redundant life, but an abundant life. And, and, uh, and then we had, like, uh, one of my f- new friends, Josh Monty, come in here and really kind of fire us up and just, you know, being a champion to someone. And how someone, sometimes not maybe what we think is, you know, the, the person that would, would bring about the change, but maybe someone that we, we would find, you know, um, kind of off the grid or off the radar a little bit can be the person that brings the, big, the biggest change in one's life. And, be, and he was actually standing there because of a woman that he met in the foyer at a church. And, and he was here preaching to us because of that woman's interaction with him. And, and then my son came up here last week and he talked to us about being comfortable with uh, getting, you know, comfortable with being uncomfortable and kind of just getting out of that comfort zone. Wasn't that good last week? Didn't, you know, DJ did a great job. I'm very proud of my son. He did a great job. But there was this guy in the middle, this good-looking guy with a tan in the middle that spoke to you uh, about this one particular subject. I got down and got brown. Did I not? Let's just get the, get the looks out of the way. Like, man, he looks like a black man up there. And uh, there's a little bit of that in me. So, um, when I get in the front of the sun, it just, you know, it just happens. But we had a great time on vacation. We're back. I'm an A-type personality, so, like, yesterday was a full work day, and I was ready to let's get after it. You know, fall's coming, and we need to get, get going. So I'm glad to be back, and, and, and my heart is full and ready to speak to you. But there was one message um, that I unpacked, just a piece of it, uh, about three weeks ago. And basically, the, the premise was being champions for a change with our change which basically was just kind of a play on words to say that you really can't be successful and make a difference, which is what this series is all about, if you don't kind of get a grip so that it doesn't rip you apart in your finances. Finances is one of the things that can slow a leader down faster than anything. I mean, it's incredible how quickly, um, you know, people can get shut down. You can have people with great gifts, great talents. Um, we've seen it in ministry. We've seen it. You've seen it in the business world. You've seen it in organizations and companies. And they get just to a certain point, but then something takes them out because, you know, their finances are a mess. Something arrests them. Something's got a noose around their neck, and they can't move forward. They put there's a lid on their life, and it usually is connected to this particular subject. So week one. Well, let me back up and just say there's like three mega principles in the scriptures about the subject of finances. And, and, and I was going to come and try to do all of them in one message. And so right as I'm getting ready to, I'm kind of flying into town. We were, we were in Alabama at the time before this particular weekend message. God's like, nope, I want you to just do this first one. Camp on it. Stay on it. Talk about it. Don't rush it. I said, okay. So I told everybody that morning, I said, I know you got notes for all this stuff, but I just want, we're just going to do the first one, and I'm just going to talk about it. And the first mega principle we talked about about three weeks ago was the principle of the tithe. Everybody say the tithe. Now, we don't talk about this a lot in our particular, in our church, in our kind of, in our culture, in our church community. Uh, we don't even pass a plate. So for some of you coming here for the first time, and you're like, 
oh my gosh, it's my first time here at Connect, and the first thing you're going to talk about is money. This is going to be for you. This isn't for us. Um, and this is going to help you in a big way. But we don't pass a plate because, uh, not, not just because we don't believe in giving. We definitely believe in giving. It, it, there, is a, there is a method or a, a, a method to our madness, so to speak. There's a reason that we do that. But one of the reasons that people don't come to church is because when they come, they think and they experience this over and over and over again is just everybody's always after your money. There's like five reasons people don't come to church. People are unfriendly, do a bad job with kids, the sermons are boring, you know, the, 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 all they want is your money, and the music's kind of irrelevant. Usually those are the five major reasons people don't go to church. None of those are theological. All of those are methodological. So as a church, just showing you our cards, we made changes in all those areas. We made sure that the music was not irrelevant. We made sure that we were friendly. We made sure that we do a good job with kids. We made, is everybody getting something out of this out there? We made sure that the preacher wasn't boring. Come on, somebody. Say, that's for sure true. And, and, and then we don't talk about money all the time. We're not just after your money. But then behind the method, there also has to be kind of a message that's, that's, that's kind of a, a value. And so when it comes to the money thing, this is something, and I didn't do this in the first service, so you guys are getting different stuff. But I, I, I can remember as a pastor knowing that the Bible talks about this subject a lot and not wanting to talk about it. I mean, there's 2,600, 2,350 scriptures about money and possessions. There's... 800 scriptures just about management of your finances. The Bible talks about money, you know, 10 times more than it does salvation, five times more than it does prayer. It talks about it a lot. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, clearly the Bible talks about it a lot. I should be talking about it a lot, but I don't want to. You know why I don't want to? Because everybody's going to think that's what I'm after is their money. And so I needed to get free first before I could help you get free because it's a major issue. 80% of what people are worrying about every single day is money. It's the t- 80% of the, the it's, it's, like a, it's the top worry issue. It's, it, men, I was saying this in the first service, men think uh, and worry about money more than they think about sex. That's, that's telling you something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> don't look at your neighbor right now, okay? That's not one of those times you go, oh, you know, don't do it, okay? It's a big issue. It's a big issue. So I had to get the issues worked out in me. So I knew intellectually, I knew experientially too in my own life and practice that this was an important issue. But I had to get free so I could pastor you. I just want you to know I stand before you free as your pastor. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time qualifying like I used to do. I just spend two-thirds of my time qualifying and give one-third of kind of the meat and potatoes. I'm going to spend more time on kind of the meat and potatoes. A couple of weeks ago, though, I introduced the first mega principle, and this was the whole issue of tithe. And I talked about what it is, what its purpose is, and I'll, I'll, I'll do that in just a little bit. But there's two more principles that I'm going to unpack and spend most of my time on today. But before I do, this is kind of the, I want, to, I want you to know the heart or the motivation of, and, and, and the focus of finance through God's eyes. And, and, and hopefully you see it through my eyes as well. And that is that God wants us Free. That, that the work that he wants to do is not an outside-in work. The work that he wants to do is an inside-out work. A lot of the times when we think, when we're having problems in our finances, we think it's all external. Let me, let me put meat on the bones. We think, as men, this is very true, we think, is, I'm having a money problem, so the answer is I need to work more. I need to make more. I need to spend less. All makes sense. That's all, uh, that's all on, a, on a natural plane uh, on, on an intellectual, logical level, it makes sense, right? 
I don't have enough money. I need to work more. I don't. And there's some truth to that, that, that some of those things need to happen. But most of the time, these things are not behaviors. These things are perspectives. Most of the time, these things are not external things. These are internal things. Sometimes these things aren't things that we need to do. These are things that we need to change in our thinking before we can change the things that we're actually doing permanently. And there's a scripture in John 8, and I've preached on this before, and I'm not going to preach on it this morning, but some of you, you are familiar with this particular text, John 8, 31 and 32. But it basically, in, in, in 32, it gets into it and it says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay? You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me, let me unpack that quick. Truth doesn't set you free. Truth that you know sets you free. Now, that word, and my daddy taught me this, but I also looked it up on my own to check it out. The, the, every English word in, in the Bible has been translated from an original language. So in the New Testament, the English word that you're looking at was translated from Greek. That Greek word, know, is the word epinosis. Okay, it's a kind of a big word, but it basically is, is a revelational knowledge. It's not an intellectual knowledge. It's a revelational knowledge. What is that like? Well, when my wife and I had children, and we've had four of them, people say, you love your wife? I said, no, I just love kids. My wife, I love kids. They said, you love kids? I said, no, I just love my wife. That's what happens. That's what I meant to say. We have a lot of kids, okay? And so when we were having all our kids and she was pregnant, I used to say when we introduced ourselves, we're pregnant. Now, how many know it's different for me than it is for her, right? <laughs> I tell you, it's different, right? So it's totally different. So she, I know we're pregnant here. She knows we're pregnant here. That's what epinosis is. Epinosis is a know that you know. It's a deeper know. It's a revelation knowledge. God wants you to know truth like that. One of the ways or one of the prerequisites for knowing truth like that, which in turn as an outcome makes you free, is you have to, you have to practice it. You have to put it to work. So the first part of this verse in John 8, 31 says this. It says, this is bonus. It's not in your notes. It says, if you hold to my teaching." One translation is, if you devote yourself to my teaching. So hold to it. Hang on to it. Like, don't let it go. Like, hold to it. That word there is like pit bull, bite onto it. Like, I'm sticking with this no matter what. If you hold to truth like that, you will experience revelation knowledge that will in turn make you free. Is everybody getting that? That's what God wants to do in your finance. So when you look at this subject of finance, he's trying to do something from here out, not from outside in. And so when you begin to receive some of the information that you're receiving, you're, you need to be asking God for revelation knowledge. But in order for that to actually stick, like Velcro to your soul, you have to actually hold to it. You have to actually... Just hang, no matter what, you do what it says. And so when it comes to a first mega principle that the Bible has for us in tithing, it's so important that you, sometimes you do things just because God says so. If, if I said to you, and you don't have to look this up, but you can if you want to on your own, but if I said to you, there's a scripture in the Bible where Jesus says you should or you ought to do something, you, don't you think you should or you ought to do that? Yes or no? Should you do something if he says you should do something? Ought you do something if Jesus said? Well, I'm telling you, he said in Matthew 23, 23. You write it in your notes. It's in there probably in your worship, but I think it is. The first principle that we are called to live by when it comes to our finances, practice tithing. Jesus said it himself. He said it himself. That ought to be good enough for you. Psalm 119, 45. It's not in your notes. It says, I will walk in freedom 
For I have devoted myself to your commands. People will experience freedom when they devote themselves to God's word, his commands. People will experience freedom when they hold, hold to his teaching like a pit bull. When you do it God's way, I promise you, I promise you, it will work. It will work. And, and it's an inside job. And sometimes we don't get it. We don't understand it. We, we're trying to do it differently. I, there's a story of a, of a dad, and, and he was really, really tired, and he had a long week, and it's Sunday, and, and, and the football game's on, and he's wanting to take a nap, kind of zone in, zone out, but he's got kid duty. All you dads know what I'm talking about? When you got kid duty, you know? It's supposed to be time with your kids, but dads sometimes translate it kid duty. That's funny. I don't care what you say. Dads don't want to laugh because the wives are right next to him like, yeah. But, but so, so he's on duty, and, but the little kid's getting bored and doesn't want doesn't to just relax, and he wants to take a nap, and he's exhausted. And so, you know, finally the kid says, Dad, Dad, I'm bored, I'm bored. It's like four or five years old, I'm bored. So Dad kind of gets, pops up in the couch. He's thinking, what can I do? He looks down at the newspaper he just drops on the ground just a few minutes ago that he gave up reading on, and the page is open, and as the page is open, it's open to like one of the pages got this world map on one of the pages, you know, and it's got the, the countries and the, and the, and the nations and, and it's got different cities and all this kind of stuff on it. So he gets this creative idea. I know what I'll do. I'll create kind of a puzzle for my kid and have him put it all back together again. And it'll take so long because he doesn't know any geography and he doesn't know the world map and all that kind of stuff. And then I'll be able to sleep that whole time. So he rips it all up into pieces and all these kind of pieces. And he turns it over and he says, son, put this all back together again. It's an awesome puzzle. You're going to have a blast. And if you put all this puzzle together, you're going to get a big prize. And so he said, and he puts it in the kid's hand, the kid's looking at it like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, doesn't know any better. Dad lays down, tries to go to sleep. Within like two minutes, son's going, dad, 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 I finished the puzzle. Dad's like, what? This is impossible. How on earth could you finish the puzzle? I mean, you don't know, Jeff. I don't even know some of the countries and cities that are there on that particular map. There's no way you could have done that. He, the son says, well, dad, on the back of that particular page was a picture of a person and so I just put the person back together again and then the whole world was all right <laughs> is anybody seeing where I'm going with this turn to your neighbor and say I see where he's going with this I put my person together and the whole world looked all right to me our lives are exactly the same way. As we approach the subject of money and finance and resources and things like that, we have to start by abandoning this notion when it comes to this particular subject that this thing is an outside job. You have to, uh, when I say abandon, it doesn't mean we don't do some of these things and we just stop doing them. I'm just saying in terms of priority. It's not a more money issue. It's not more work. It's not more of this or it's more of that. Instead, it's an inside job. It's more a heart condition. It's more about obedience and submission. It's more about trust, which, by the way, trust leads to truth. Everybody say this. Trust leads to truth. See, so it's through relationship that we get revelation. It's through trust that we receive truth. So there's these three principles, three mega principles. And the first week I talked about that, and it's really about an open heaven. Tithe, the tithe, is where we get an open heaven. So Malachi talks about this, chapter 3. It's the book that everybody wants to skip over and go right to Matthew. And, but the book of Malachi, there's, there's a few chapters in there, four or five chapters in there. And basically, the, if the subject of Malachi had a topic to it, the subject of Malachi is return to me. It's God saying, hey, people of God, you've been on vacation all summer. Return to me. 
Return to me and your family. Put them, your fa- the family of God first. Return to me in your faith in chapter 2. Return to me in chapter 3 in your finances. And so in chapter 3, he talks about this. And in chapter 3, while he's talking about return to me, he says, I, if you tithe, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't even contain. So tithing is about an open heaven. And there are many other benefits about tithing. I'll highlight a few of those for you. Uh, one is it brings order into your financial life. Brings order. When you do the first things first, then everything falls into place and into order. I like the standard that he set because it's equal sacrifice as well as equal reward. But it's the thing that invites God into the process. Have you ever been in your life, just be honest, and has anybody ever been short at the end of the month, not sure how they're going to pay a bill in their life or something like that? Anybody ever experienced that? Okay. All right. Let me tell you a little testimony about your pastor, okay? Just the, the 23 plus years ago, 23 years, whatever I was working at Ford's, my wife will remember this better than me, but 20 plus years ago, I was working at Ford Motor, I was in a ministry, 23 years ago, I think it was, and I can remember our, looking at our, I'm a planner, and so like, I can remember looking at our finances and kind of mapping things out, and we were going to be short for, for the year, like just, just under $10,000 a year, we were short, does that make sense, like we don't have enough money to pay everything, and over the course of a year, we would accrue, ten, we would be almost $10,000 short. That's what it was looking like based on our financial picture and the income versus expenses. And so I can remember kind of in a figurative, in a literal way, excuse me, not just a figurative way, one time putting our bills on a kitchen table that somebody had given to us. Literally every piece of furniture in our, in our uh, apartment at the time was given to us. Not one thing we bought. God provided all these things for us. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Hallelujah. And so I'm, I put all these bills on the table, and I went to God. I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I mean, I'm going to be short. But you're telling me in your word that I need to be a tither. So I want to tell you this for a couple of reasons. One is, I, I don't want to ask you to do something that I haven't done or I'm not willing to do myself. Most people have this notion. This is a natural thinking. This is not an this is an outside thinking versus an inside thing. Most people think, I need to be in surplus before I can start to give. God's word is saying, if you are having trouble meeting the needs and the necessities of your life, and you need some help, this is how you invite me into the process, by tithing. This is how you say to me, I trust you. This is how you say to me, I rely on you. This is how you say to me, you are my source. We sing it. We preach it. Sometimes we remember scriptures about it, but oftentimes we believe in tithing, but we don't practice it. So this is where the rubber meets the road. So I'm saying, God, but I'm short. He said, and this is what he said. You can think I'm crazy, and you can think, you know, whatever, I'm smoking dope, but this is what happened, okay? (laughs) He said, "You you can be short doing it your way, or you can be short, oh, doing it my way. You're still gonna be short, right? So in other words, I'm gonna be short at the end of the year already. Or you can be this much short doing it God's way. I said, okay, I want to be short doing it God's way. So then I went through a period of testing. There was about six to nine months where I didn't really see the windows of heaven open up. And then one day I'm going to work and I actually was frustrated and pleading with God and kind of upset with him because I was supposed to have a six-month kind of review, sit down, how I'm doing in my job, which would pave the way for my annual review where you actually are supposed to get a raise. Some of you go through that process in a corporate environment. Ford is a big corporation. That's how they did it. Well, my sixth month, they blew me off, or at least that's what I thought. So I was mad. I'm complaining. I'm, God, I'm doing this every single month, and I'm going under while I'm doing this. This is getting harder. This is getting harder. 
Nine months come, they call me in. I sit down, I've kind of got an attitude, and they say, Derek, we're going to accelerate things for you. You're having your annual today. Now, my peers at the time had been preparing me. You don't get a raise till 13 months, and the corporate rate was about 3%. 3%. That wasn't going to solve my problem. So I was telling God, just so you know, that ain't going to solve my problem. <laughs> That's how we roll, me and him. That's how we talk. Okay, so I sit down, I get the nine months, becomes my, basically my annual review, I'm getting, it's coming early, things are looking good, but I'm still a little nervous because I can't do the 3% thing, and they tell me, you're going to be promoted, we're going to move you from this position to this position, and by the way, it com- it's accompanied by a company car, which you'll drive home with today. Now, I'll come back to that in just a second, because that's awesome. Then they said, you're going to get a raise, which is retroactive, and it, this is the truth, before God, as I stand here, 16.7% raise I got. And I declined over time because it violated a commitment I made to my church. My father's here to testify to that. Where he asked me to do worship. We had Wednesday night services and I committed to do worship. And, I, and, and we had mandatory work at my job on Wednesday nights. And I said, I can't do that. And they said, and this is when I was being interviewed for the job. They told me I had to do this. I said, oh, I can't. I have a commitment. I've already made it. And this is what's going on in my brain. This is what's going through my brain. My natural mind is telling me, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. You're going to lose the job. But the word of God is saying, Psalm 15:4. we keep our word to our own hurt and change not. Do it. Do it. And those that do these things, the scripture says in the next verse, will never be shaken. So that's what's going through my brain. And this is, and I'm, I'm being interviewed. So the person, the first person says, well, I'm sorry, that's probably not going to work out, but I'm going to go get my manager, and then he'll come in and talk to you. They send in three people in my one interview while I was being interviewed for this job, and I'm telling them, I can't do it, but I really love the job. And this is the things I'm telling them. I will, I, and I was a little cocky, I'll be, admit this, but I was like, I will outperform. Even if, if you make this exception, I will outperform in the given hours your employees that work overtime. You'll pay less for me in, le- in less time, and I'll outperform them. They kind of look at me like, whatever, you know, and they'd walk away. Send in another manager. I said the same thing. They keep telling me, too bad. This is the policy. This is what we have to do. They brought in the branch manager. The branch manager liked me, and they hired me. And I was the only one they made an exception for. This is in Southboro, Ford Motor Credit, right over here on Route 9. And I worked, I worked full-time, 40 hours a week, and everybody else worked 50 hours a week. And at nine months, I got a raise and got promoted past that particular group, went home with a company car. My wife, remember my wife, I went, I went to work in a 1977 Pontiac Catalina love boat. <laughs> Hope we'll be making another run, but we're not sure. And I came back in a Lincoln Mark 8 at the time. This was back in the 90s when, like, we're rolling, like, summer, summertime. Like, I went home. Happy because I was a tither, because I invited God into my finances. And I've been doing that ever since for 23 years, and I can tell you story after story. So much so my wife and I have talked about writing a book about it just because we had so many stories of how God has provided. Tithing is the first step to bring favor into your life. Tithing gives you confidence when you approach God because the Bible's telling you if you hold my teachings... Then you'll know freedom. But the other thing it says in 1 John 3.21, it says, When our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. So when we do what God says and we're doing it to please him, not prove something to him, then when we have a tough time, we have a situation, and you all do. You all have these tough times, these tough situations. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. The car just, you know, the engine block just fell out. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, um, the vacation just skyrocketed. The f- 
plane rates just went up. Kids' tuition just spiked. I mean, we could just, could we make a list or what? All these different things. But when those things happen, and this is, this is, I'm just being honest with you, and I hope you can receive this. I can go to God with confidence. I don't go, well, I can't really ask him anything because, you know, we're on the outs. I, I, haven't, really, I haven't been really doing what he said. When I'm not good with Stacy, I don't feel like asking Stacy to scratch my back or give me a back rub. She'd be like, do it yourself. But when we're good, I can be like, honey, can you just scratch the thing on my back? Or maybe you could keep going. You know what I mean? But when you, when you have confidence before God, you will have confidence before God because you're doing what he says. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Tithing brings confidence as you approach God. Tithing is a trust issue, not so much a money issue. And, and this was the point that I made a couple of weeks ago. You trust him with your salvation, but you don't trust him with your finances. You, let's think about the reasoning of this. Sometimes we, we, think it's, we think God just threw logic out the window. We trust him with eternity, that he paid a debt that was priceless, but we can't trust him in the temporal world in which we live to take care of our needs and do it his way with regards to finance. Tithing opens the door for God to move in our life. One of the things that God does when we open up, when we, the whole thing of Malachi, when it says open up the windows of heaven, you guys getting something out of this? Because I'm kind of going away from my notes a little bit. When, when God opens up the windows of heaven for us and he wants to pour out a blessing, I used to look at that and used to say, well, I don't see that. Uh, he's not pouring out a blessing I can't contain. Because you're looking through, this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say to you, which is what he said to me. Because son, you're looking through, daughter, you're looking through natural eyes. But when you see through spiritual eyes, you can see how many blessings that he has poured out on you, you cannot contain. It's just like in the Israelites, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. Listen, my life, my teeth don't wear out. My, 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 my body doesn't wear out. There's just different things that I think, there's just different ways that God will manifest his blessing. Your, your families are together. Your relationships work better. God provides emotional, spiritual, and physical health because you're obeying his precepts. One of the most most powerful signs of an open heaven that I've experienced in 23 years of being a tither is peace. That is the top, if I had to give you one, that most people don't, because remember what I said, the opening statistic, 80% of people are worried about money. It's the number, it's number one worry, money. So the counterpoint of worry is peace, peace. So I can say to you with total confidence, I practice, I'm, you're, you're, there are a lot of places you could go, and I, I'm not saying all places, but a lot of places you could go when somebody's talking about finances, and they don't do it. They're telling you to do something they don't do. Um, before God, I've been doing this, and there are people here who would say he's a liar. They'd stand up and say he's a liar that, have, that do the accounting in this church. But I'm just telling you, the byproduct of this practice, this first mega principle for me is peace. Sometimes there's things, I don't know what we're going to do, but I still have peace. I still have peace, peace beyond circumstances, peace beyond what I can explain. And I want you to have that. God wants you to have that. But it starts with this first principle. Many of you are catching that and experiencing that, and you are being blessed for it. Here's the next principle as I move on. Now, you know, you're you're, right now you're receiving spiritual food. The Bible talks about this. We tithe so there may be food in my house. Do you guys like the food? 
Okay, some of you are like, that last one is like liver and onions. So if we could move on to some other kind of food, that'd be great. All right, so I'm going to move on to some new food, okay? Number two, okay, and I want to get into these quickly. Manage responsibly. Here's the second mega principle in Champions for a Change is manage responsibly. This is about stewardship. The first thing is about an open heaven. This is about an open heart, an open heart. The last principle is about an open hand. But this principle works hand in glove with the previous. A lot of people are not experiencing the favor, the blessing, what God wants to see happen in their life is because they're doing this, but they're not doing this. These are, these are a hand in glove relationship, tithing and stewardship, tithing and responsible management. You say, okay, well, there's a lot of things there that are practical that I know I need to do. And I'm going to get into some of those practical. But fundamentally, when it comes to management, responsible management, we have to have a different way of thinking, a different perspective. I thought of a, the best way to illustrate this next point was with a little humor, re- reality kind of sandwiched together. One of my favorite commercials ever watched I want to show you right now, but it's the perfect example of what many of us are dealing with here and out there. Would you check this particular video out, and you guys will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house in a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Now, I didn't, now how many know that relates, right? Like, what's relevant, isn't it? There's a lot of people have the trappings of success, and sometimes we're actually chasing, trying to be like, keep up with the Joneses. Anybody know the phrase, keep up with the Joneses? And we're sometimes chasing somebody that has, that looks like they have it all together, but they don't have it together at all. Sometimes people have it together, let's just say, in the natural but, but they don't have things worked out in the spiritual. And sometimes people are building their house on sand. A lot of people have a lot of wealth, but then in an ultimate sense they lose their health to get their wealth. Then they lose their wealth because they lost their health. This is this, these are these patterns that God is trying to unravel for us as we go forward. Now, I didn't say that was a good example. I said it was a perfect example because this is exactly what not to do. A lot of, a lot of us are like Stanley. A lot of us know a Stanley. A lot of us may be a Stanley. Like, there's, just, there's a mess. There's chaos. There's things that are going on right here. In my case, personally, growing up, um, my family line, in particular, uh, actually both sides of my family, my mother and my father's side, hardworking people. Work ethic was really never an issue. Like, Keith, Fry, not lazy people. Get up, get to work. You know, we need to see chips fly every day. Like, even if you hang around my dad or my sister, you go, like, something recreational with my, like, I'll go to lunch with my dad. We'll go to Panera Bread. We're just going to hang out. No agenda. Just, we're hanging out. Just dad sometime, right? We get out of the car. My dad's, like, in a race, like, to get to the line. (laughs) So A-type, you know what I mean? Like, asphalt is kicking up behind his heels, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're just wound kind of tight, you know, and work, 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 work. We work really hard. So working hard was never an issue for me. I was raised to work hard. I had a job when I was like eight years old. I was at a shoe-shining business at eight years old. And my father helped finance that shoe-shining business. But a <laughs> lot of entrepreneurial things that I did when I was very young, very business-oriented. Work, 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 that's what we did. So working hard wasn't a problem. Uh, making a buck wasn't a problem. Managing the buck, guilty. Whoop, whoop. 
That was more the issue for me. And so then I met my wife, who's very, very frugal. And, of course, initially we competed over that. Now God has worked it out so that we complement each other, but she's very frugal. And, 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 and that balance is what God... Isn't that funny how God brings you the perfect opposite of what you need? Some of you are like, I don't know about that yet, Pastor. <laughs> I'm waiting for the marriage seminar on that. But trust me. <laughs> It's quiet. It's quiet on that. It's funnier than you realize. But my biggest problem was always a management problem. And fundamentally, here's what's going on with the stewardship thing. And I'll get to the practical and I want to. But my problem was I didn't see God as my boss. I said, this is my money. I'm in charge of this. And and I don't have time to show you all of the scriptures on this, but trust me, if you'll get in the New Testament just a little bit, if you get in the Old Testament, Chronicles, I can just different places that you can go. Every, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God, comes from God, is dispersed by God. It's all God's. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Even the wealth that you have acquired, he gave you the power to get wealth. Everything the Bible says makes it crystal clear that you are a steward and a manager of the resources. It all belongs to God. And when you see God as your boss, it should change things for you. And I remember several years ago reading some books about this a long time ago. People like Ronald Blue, Howard Dayton, Randy Alcorn. My, my, my office is laced with a lot of these particular books. And I kept receiving more and more revelation about an issue that I had in my life. And that was stewardship, management. In fact, this church is blessed proportionately, in my opinion. This is how this may be false responsibility, but it may, it, it may be. But it's proportionally blessed to my growth in this issue in my personal life, so that he can trust me in this church, in our church life. It's connected to the leadership. I believe they're, they're totally connected. So this area was a big deal, and I kept receiving more and more wisdom on that. Years ago, I took a small group, Crown Financial. It's known as Compass Today. We'll offer that in the fall. And I got so much out of it because it was dealing, again, with these inside things. I kept trying to, it's, i got to work more. You know, I, I got to turn a buck. I got to do this. I got to do that. No, God was trying to deal with me on this crown group. It was so, I was doing it to lead by example and show the church, see, we need to do this. This is a good idea. But when I got in there, I was like, whoa, whoa. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Like we dealt with the principle of contentment. Like when is enough enough? It actually made you write, made you calculate. When, when is your income going to be enough? Whew. All of a sudden, it started confronting the monster of more in me. Or then it dealt with the principle of honesty, like in our business. Have you ever stolen a racer and a paperclip at work? It asked those kind of questions. What? Well, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was just, it was just dealing with these integrity issues and these hard issues, and it made me see things in a totally different light. All kinds of revelation. Some of it was practical, and some of it was very value-oriented and perspective-oriented. But I wanted to see that there were these financial laws, and they work to some extent. But there are certain things that can't, these financial laws cannot change my heart. These financial laws cannot change my character. These financial laws can't make me smart enough to overcome my, my nature. My nature is stronger than my intellect. I need something that renews or transforms my nature, not to the pattern of this world, but to God's word. Does that make sense? And so that's why we need higher laws that we subscribe to and that we follow. And what's interesting to me is that many people, when they go to church, and this, this may be how you feel today, hopefully not, but some people, when they go to church, it's all they ever talk about is give, tithe, close the doors until we raise the money necessary to fulfill the vision of God. Nobody leaves. Pass the plate again. 
It's, ha- it's happened. I actually was in this room uh, uh, hosting a, um, uh, a school event, one of our Christmas productions. We already had a fundraiser for it, which it goes to a worthy, a worthy cause. Everybody gave a lot, like $30,000 to this whole thing. It was an incredible fundraiser. We do it every year. It's awesome, all right? While we're here, several people, not one, but several mature Christian people came up to me and said, Pastor, Pastor, with all these people in here, you should, you should take an offering. You should take an offering. And i got to be honest with you, and you can delete this if you have to. I won't say it right off, but I was P.O.'d at that guy. Because that's the first notion. And I, I wanted to say to him, you're the reason that my job is so hard up here, because that's what everybody thinks. The first thing people think when there's a crowd is, how can I lace them and get all the money out of their wallet? That's not even the solution. Even if they all gave something, it wouldn't even cure the problem if you take it all the way out to its furthest extent. It's a systemic problem, not a one-time problem. People need to be givers as a practice, not just as a one-time occurrence. But people go to meetings, they go to churches, and that's what happens. That's, that's one of the reasons we don't pass a plate, because we want you to want to do it from your heart, because God loves a cheerful giver, and we want you to do it as a sign of maturity. And I know some people come, am I worked up or what? I know some people come to church, and they're contributors, and some people come to church, and they're consumers. Now, I don't think consumers a bad word. It's, it's just like a family. Some people, they're born in the world, babies are born in the world, they can't contribute, they poop, make messes, cry, smile at you. Do it all over again. We have to take care of them. And eventually we help them. We get diapers on them. Eventually we clean up their mess again. Then we help them walk. And then we help them, you know, learn how to clean up your room a little bit and take out the trash. And before you know it, you got to get out and you got to start contributing. And so there is a point where somebody has to move from a consumer to a contributor, but I don't want to bang up all the consumers out there who are already struggling. We want to help them get free so that you can freely give. Amen? That's what needs to happen. The big problem. But hear me strong on this. A lot of you agree with that, but you won't do what's necessary to actually get free when it's staring you in the face. Hmm. I didn't think he was going to do that. In other words, the cure is right under your nose, but you won't. You say, I can't, I can't, I can't go to the small group because I don't have time. You don't have time? You can't afford not to get into a, a, a Compass Small Group, Financial Peace University. People, Financial Peace University has, has a, a cost to it because there's, there's this whole packet and booklet and things you get. I forget what it costs, but it's, it's, it's probably like 75 bucks or something like that. We'll pay for it if you can't do it, okay? We have like, we, we budget a certain amount, so if you can't afford to do that, go to Financial Peace University. Learn how to get your finances in order. If you want to learn how to be generous from your heart and see generosity literally change your life, you should go to the Blessed Life small group. I taught that myself. There's other people that teach that. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. So if you struggle in this area, and many people do, avail yourself this semester, September 20, what, 1st, 17th? 21st, small groups launch again, and these groups will be available. Avail yourself of them. What else, what else can I do to help you? Get that CD from a couple of weeks ago. If you, didn't, you weren't here a couple of weeks ago on tithing, how, where do I start? Where do I begin? I believe with all my heart you start with tithing. If you don't want to give, if you feel like we're trying to take your money, go tithe someplace else. Take the CD and go start tithing at that church, but go to that church and sow and invest in that church if you think I'm after your money. We're fine already, so this isn't about us. This is about you. But get that CD. If you want to learn even more, I have a book called Worry-Free Finances where these three mega principles are available and kind of unpacked. And you're a reader, and readers are leaders, so I think it's good. It's free. You can just take it. There's books down at Guest Central. CD, books, 
Get it. If you want to sign up for a small group and you think money is an issue, let us know. We'll help you over. If you have pride about that, get over it. Get help. Get help. Get free. Get free. We're here to help you get free. Amen? Amen. Is that good stuff? All right. I'm going to move on. I'm not, uh, there's so many practical things that I could give you about this, but I don't have time for that. Let me give you my last point. It's, uh, it's give generously. Give generously. Now, this whole thing on generosity is about an open hand. There's a quote by Amy Carmichael that says, you can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. This, this, this particular scripture that's in your notes, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. Verse 17, it says this. You might have it in a different translation. But it says this. It says, tell those who are rich in this world to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money. Everybody say obsessed with money. Which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God. Everybody say, go after God. Who piles on, I love that, piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good. To be rich in helping others extravagantly generous. Everybody say, generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. That word life in the Greek is the word zoe. It means zest, not like zestfully clean like the, like the soap, though I do like that. But it's talking about, it's talking about joy and, and enthusiasm that comes from within, a zest for life. And what's interesting is that most people, when they hear that particular uh, scripture, they, they, they get to a certain word and they kind of check out. In other words, in the NIV it says, command those who are rich in this present world to give generously. Most people think, well, that's not me, I'm out. So I, 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 don't, really, I don't really continue to, to track with you after that, PD, because I'm not rich. I think most people don't have perspective on their true status contrasted with the rest of the world. In other words, I think some of us think, well, I'm not rich. I'm somewhere between homelessness and a millionaire. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not like a vagabond, but I don't have a portfolio like Bill Gates. I'm somewhere kind of in the middle. The truth is, if you have food, clothing, shelter, you are 75% richer than the rest of the world. If you have money in the bank, even if you have change in a little ashtray in your car, if you've got change in a jar at your house, you are, you are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. You're in the top 4% if you have $5 in your savings account. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're at statistically. If you have a house, if you have a car that has a house, known as a garage, a garage, a garage, whatever you want to call it. If you have a house with a garage... You're, you're only 4% of the population has that. I, there's so many statistics. If you go to a restaurant and somebody serves you and you pay for it, you're rich. You're rich. Everybody say, I'm rich. I'm rich. So now let me read that verse again and see if you guys check in, okay? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Everybody say, hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So all our enjoyment comes from God, not from worldly wealth. Command them, this is what I'm supposed to do. So Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, by the way, somewhere, this this church is somewhere in Asia Minor. Believe it or not, this church at the time is a mega church, like M-E-G-A, mega, 200,000 member church that Timothy's pastoring. 
So Paul is addressing some of the issues that are happening in a church. And one of those, ironically, which is relevant then, is also relevant today, is money. And he's saying this to them. He's saying, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You'll get an ERA, not just an IRA. Most people are living for, hoping for, one day like to have an IRA, but many people are not living. That's temporal. And, and best case scenario, some of that might get passed down to the next generation. But it's temporal. It's still in this life. But in the life to come, what are we doing? Do you know that, that, that you can lay up, you, can, you, you can't take these things with you, but there's certain things you can do to send it on ahead. And how we, when we give and when we're generous, we're laying up a treasure for the future. We lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life, which is really, really life. Generosity isn't having a garage sale and giving things away for low, low prices. Right? Sometimes we think, I mean, that's because we have all this sentimental value with this and sentimental value with that. That's not, that's not, it's sacrificial giving. How many of us get to a place where we experience something that's truly sacrificial? Listen to this quote. If it doesn't move you, it won't move God. Have you ever ever given something and it moved you? If it did, I can promise you it moved God. That's what I love about, and, and I can only personalize this to our church, and there's plenty of other examples that I could give, but I loved about what we just did with our church. There are people in this room that if I thought about it more than a couple minutes, I'd break down, who gave sacrificially to make this wonderful campus, have this wonderful church environment possible. This church is set up to actually be able to start multiple churches from this location. We have equipment and things like that so we can have a video campus in neighborhoods all over the community now because of what people did. We have social space that we just opened basically last Sunday that people sacrificed for. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, just under a million dollars, this church raised. And some people are still paying because we're in a two-year campaign. But some people, in one offering in this church, we raised $270,000 cash in one Sunday. One Sunday. <laughs> Word of God. And people were moved. My wife and I can remember having conversations about sacrificial giving to participate in this ourselves. We're still part of that. We, every single month, we're experiencing the, the, the order of our finances, tithing, still bringing offerings, and keeping our extravagant giving, our commitment to connect the dots. Every single month, we have another, a little over a year left, a little over a year left, but it's changing our lives. My son participated in that. My own, my 22-year-old son participated. It's changed our lives. Many of you participated in that. God wants you to, not just financial, and it's not just money, but it's give, to be a giver. Anyone who sacrifices for the kingdom will never fail to receive many times more in this life and in the life to come, the Bible tells us. Three things we might need to change, though, according to God's word in 1 Timothy 6 is don't be obsessed with money. So we can't be obsessed with money. I want you to think about how much money you need to make in order to feel like you have enough to be satisfied. How much money would you need to make in order to feel like you'd be satisfied? Do you know what that the answer to that question is, I bet I can guess what it is. I bet I'm about 100% right. It's more than you're making right now. Okay? There was a poll done by Gallup, the Gallup poll, and he polled Amer- uh, Americans, and th- they, the statistics said that most Americans believe they need to make two times more than they're making right now. 
So if they made 30000 in this case, they, they believe they need to make 75000 to be satisfied or, 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 or content. If you made 50000 they believe they need to make 100. If 100000 then you need to make 200000 In all the people that were polled, not one of them, not one, said, I'm good. Isn't that amazing? Because of the monster of more taking us over. It's crazy. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth never is satisfied because the world is teaching us that net worth equals self-worth and nothing can be further from the truth. The world is teaching us something different than what God says. God says money's a great servant, but it's a terrible master. Many people are working for, for, for a credit card company, not for, not for an employer or for God or for themselves. And so that's why God's saying don't be obsessed with money. First Timothy 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing to the world, we can take nothing out of it. We can send it on ahead, but we can't take it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The more disease takes us over. For the love of money, money is not evil, but the love of money is, is evil, is the root of all kinds of evil things. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I have met and known, my father has seen even more of this, people who live for money who are ruled by money, who are servant to money, who say things that they're going to do when they have money, never happens. When I get to the certain point, when I acquire this, when I get this, when I make this amount of money, then I'm going to start being a giver. Never happens. God wants you to be a giver now. Now. Start being a giver now to change your life. Be rich in helping others. The world, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. It's the highest level of living. You may have never heard of this guy. Some of you have, I'm sure, from school or things like that. Maslow's Laws. Anybody have heard of Maslow's Laws? His hierarchy of human needs. The, the highest law in his study was called self-actualization. And it basically said this, that the highest level of human living is actually to make a difference in somebody else's life is fundamentally to be a giver. Real living is when you're really giving. But then he said only 2% of the world's population live at this level, which is somewhat synonymous, believe it or not, with the, the, uh, the statistical amongst the Christian population. If you take all the Christian denominations, you put them all together, and you say how much of Christians give of their income, 2% give of their income. Isn't it interesting? Very small percentage actually give, live at that level. But God wants us to live at a level where we're living for other people, where we're giving to other people. It's the highest order of our being is to be a giver. But a lot of times we don't get there because we don't go through the steps or the process or the character development of doing what he says first. First fruits, being a steward and managing so that we can actually ultimately be generous. How does this all how does this all actually happen? How do we actually make the changes? Do we start doing this and doing that? No. You start by going after God. That's what 1 Timothy 6 said in um, the message translation was to go after God. Why? Because we're all created with a God-sized hole in our heart that can only be met by God. In other words, in the world today, and this has been since the dawn of time, there's an enemy out there Satan, son of the morning, Lucifer, turn renegade, as my father would say. He's out there, and he has been given temporary jurisdiction. 1 John 5 says, the whole world is under the control of the evil one, but those that are born of God are kept safe. 
So he's been allowed, he's been given a certain amount of permission to kind of roam around and cause havoc. And one of the ways that he tries to cause havoc in your life is to make sure that you don't serve the one true God and follow him, but you serve other gods, small g's. And the small gods that he tried to, that he tried to pimp out in the Old Testament were people, were gods like Baal and Mammon and Asteropoles. And you may not know what all that is, but it's basically talking about power. It's basically talking about pleasure. It's basically talking about possessions. He said, here's these gods that I want to get them hooked on. And if I can get them hooked on that, then they won't be hooked on the one true God who can actually fill this God-sized hole that's in everybody's heart that we're born with. And Romans 1 says that the God's presented the gospel to all of us, but some of us choose to reject him. So unless we accept Jesus as the only one who can fulfill and fill that hole in our heart, we're going to continue to have a broken heart because those small G's will always leave you with a broken heart. And you're never free and you're never whole. Jesus is the only one that can actually make you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus is the only one who can do that. But we have to do it his way in order to experience those results in our life. Is everybody tracking with me? Because we go out there and we follow these gods, and it's like buyer's remorse. You go to the mall, you buy a shirt, you think it looks good, you go in that room, you close the door, you look in the mirror, you're like, whoo, Fonzie, I don't need to make any changes. You go home, you put it on the same mirror, the lighting's different, the mirror's not as long, maybe it's bumped in the middle and you look like you got a gut all of a sudden and you look at that and you're like, ooh, doesn't look so good now. You know what we call that? Buyer's remorse. That's what following these other gods will give you, is buyer's remorse. Jesus will never do that. It is God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment, 1 Timothy 6, 17. And Jesus is so cool because he went out of his way. Here, here's the Jesus profile that maybe sometimes we don't realize. He is so rich. It's like my kids say about their grandfather. Bampa's loaded. <laughs> Your God is loaded. He, he, he owns it all. He, could, he, he, he has the power to give you wealth. He has the power to bless you. He was a cattle on a thousand. All but here's Jesus' profile. Jesus was rich, but he became poor for you. He's born in a manger. We only talk about this sometimes at Christmas, but think about it. Uh, if I was God, I wouldn't have been born in a manger. I would have come at halftime of the Super Bowl, and I would have stayed at the Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> right? And, and he didn't have Bill Gates for a last name or anything like that. He worked a blue-collar job. Joseph taught Jesus how to swing a hammer and, you know, bang nails and all that kind of stuff. And then he went into ministry. That's not where you go to get money. Trust me, that's not where you go to get money. And this, is, this, this isn't the, the track to success in America, so, so to speak. And he had no place to lay his head. He had, he had no house, no home, no land to speak of. This is, this is Jesus, who owned everything, who owns it all, right? He couldn't pay his own taxes one time. You could, put it, you could think of it like that. He told his disciples, go, go, go out there and go fishing. And when you catch this fish, there's going to be the money that needed to pay the taxes. When you have to send somebody off to go fishing to pay your taxes, you poke. Like, no O-R. Like, Jesus was so poor, he was Pope. And then he hung on a cross. Poor, single, homeless, if you think about it. He did this so you could be rich. The right kind of rich. Devin talked about this in, the, in his transition about prosper. Prosper in your soul. God wants you to prosper in your soul. 
He wants to meet all your physical needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 tells us that. But he wants you to be prosperous in your soul. But you have to receive the grace that Jesus has provided for you. That grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You have to receive that, what he's received, what he's given for you. But your money sometimes can keep you from heart change. Where your money is, there will your heart be also. God wants to do a work in your heart. But sometimes he has to do a work in your financial life first. Well, you're willing to surrender that. Because otherwise, you'll always have a broken heart. And it can only be filled by Jesus. Will you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Uh, this is a subject that I have a hard time. Like, I'm always the enemy. My enemy in days like this is the clock because there's so many things that I want to say to you. I just feel like that God would just, he just would say, just trust me. Would you trust me? Would you, would you study what I say? Would you, would, you, would you learn what I have to say? Don't listen to me. Listen to God. Don't, don't, don't do what I say. Do what God says. The problem is that, again, these things will hurt you. These other gods will hurt you. But God, God is a treasure that treasures you back. He's the only treasure that treasures you back. And you, you can give all your time to your career, and you can give all your time to, to looking good, but that will change. That'll all change. We're all heading in that direction. But your, your, your career won't pay for your sins. When you retire, you, when you're all done, no one will care about all that stuff that you did. It just, it, 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 any area outside of God will leave you with this emptiness and this hole in your heart. We should pursue God. Because Jesus is the only one that treasures us back. Would you just close your eyes, every person, just honoring the person to your right or to your left or those people that are around you. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes the greatest competition you have in your life to do what you should do isn't the devil. <laughs> it's money. It's money. It gets in the way of our resources. We, we wake up every day trying to find some way for significance and security in a different God other than the one true God. Money tells us what we love and what we worship. If you're here today and you know that, that you're ready, you know, to, I'm not trying to get you to turn over your checkbook to me, but to Jesus. You're ready to surrender your, your values and the way you look at things and the way you look at your finances and and you're willing, to, you're willing to let God flip them upside down and do a work in your heart. If you know God's speaking to you about that, he's talking to you about that, would you raise your hand just as a sign and as a, that that's me. I, I need a change in that part of my life. I've been doing it my way, and I want to do it God's way. Come on, good and high. Don't be ashamed. I'm not, I had to do this. I had to do this. God bless you all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I just want to encourage you, those that are here, I'm going to pray for you in just a second, but I want to encourage you Take action on this today. Like, maybe you need to say, you know, have the prayer team pray for you and put it on a connection card. Maybe you need to, you know, make a commitment, like talk to your spouse or look at your schedule and how do I need to get in a small group? What do I need to do? And talk to somebody at Guest Central about that so you can get more information. Just do something. Hold tightly to his teaching so that you can experience freedom the way he wants you to experience it. If you're here today and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, like there's a hole in your heart. And when I started talking about that, like you said, that's me. Like, there's a hole in my heart, 
And I agree. These other things are not filling it. I, these, are, these other things have not satisfied. And it leaves me broken still. And I still don't feel free. And I know the only one that can actually set me free is Jesus. And I'm willing to surrender my life to Jesus Christ today and give him full control and jurisdiction. I want to I wanna put my trust in him. If you know that he's speaking that to you, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. What are you going to do? If you know he's speaking to you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm willing to give my life to Jesus today. Good night. I don't want, I'm not messing around. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. In the back, I see those hands. All the way in the back, God bless you. That's awesome. Is there anybody else that says it's me? I don't want to miss anybody. I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Best decision you could ever make in your entire life. Eternity is dependent on these decisions and following them through. Now, with every, with, every, with every head bowed, every eye closed still, just say this. Say, Jesus, those of you who raised your hand and those of you who've already done this before, just come into agreement with us. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I surrender to you. I surrender everything to you. It's all yours. You're, you're my boss today. You're, I'm a manager. And the things that you've called me to steward and to care for, I want to do it with excellence. When you ask for an account of my life. I, I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I, I want to be a good investment. So I surrender my life, Jesus, to you today. I thank you that though you were rich, you became poor so that I could experience grace, which is, which is riches, true riches at Christ's expense. I receive that today. Thank you for doing that for me, to give me life that is really life, not life like the world gives, not peace like the world gives. Real peace, real life in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you seal that prayer for every person that prayed that prayer, that called upon the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life in permanent ink. It is settled forever in heaven. God, the angels rejoice because another sinner has come home and said yes to God. In spite of what is required, they will follow you and they will serve you. I pray, Lord, that they follow in your footsteps now, God. They become not just a person who's decided something, become a follower of Jesus Christ, and they do what they are called to do so they can experience true and lasting freedom. Thank you, Lord, for those people who have been honest and who struggle in different areas of their finance. I pray for life transformation for them, that they get in relationships, that they get in your word, and that they become a student of the subject, biblical finance, not just worldly finance, so they can see things as God sees things, so they can do the things that God says for them to do. In Jesus' name, and every Everybody said amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.